That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, well, Jake, here well, we, we are. are back. We're back. No, we're going to talk. No, you keep talking. We're all going to talk at the same time. Yeah. Talk. We're back. Here we are for... <laughs> Boy, we... Episode we, we... 156. It's been a while since we've danced. We're just so... going to keep talking. <laughs> so, it's been a while since we've danced, but we're back in the saddle. Uh... And, um, Aaron, you've got the sabbatical glow. And uh, how are things going? The sabbatical 15. Thank you very much. It's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> things are going great. Uh, you know, I did a lot of... Uh, we've probably talked about this in previous episodes. I did a lot of running on my sabbatical, uh, but I also did a lot of eating, and it was delicious. So, anyways, but I feel good. I'm back at work, second day in the office, uh, and it turns out the church is doing just fine, uh, which is great uh, to come back to a place that's that's uh, that's running well. And I'd like to think it comes from a place of uh, joy and love uh, for mm-hmm. the Lord, not fear and shame. Uh, which are not my, it's not my management style. I can't, mm. I can't speak for you, Jake, but I think, uh, things are going well, well here. Well, sounds like you've been given, as the colic says, the fullness of his grace. And, Amen. Uh, you are continuing, maybe not, you're continuing to run to obtain his promises. So, um, well, it is, we have some great readings for everybody. Um, we're, uh, in the book of Esther, interestingly enough, um, uh, no context for Esther, just a just a just a one day dive. Just and, boom, and then um, we are in James chapter five, wrapping up James uh, verses thirteen through twenty, and then we get into Mark chapter nine, verses thirty eight through fifty, and a lot of um, uh, uh, you know cutting involved. So anyway, we'll talk about that, and uh, we'll give you something to preach about, but. Um, how, what, what would you do with the Esther text there, Aaron? It's um, it's kind of the um, well, it's it's terrible the way they've cut this up. There's not much to do. <laughs> Agreed. So I think you know here we are, 18th Sunday after Pentecost, moving through the Old Testament on track one. So they're trying to do a quasi chronological reading of the Old Testament, which means a lot of stuff is going to be left on the cutting room floor because it's a long, uh, it's a big, it's a big testament, and so they throw Esther in here. I mean, it's great that she's here. I think it's uh, an admirable effort of the lectionary committee to want to highlight the uh, women of faith uh, that occur in the scriptures. But Esther gets short shrift because, uh, I mean, we just get a little, I mean, it, there, as you said, there's no context. We begin here um, with chapter 7, skip verses in that chapter, skip all of chapter 8, and then just get a few verses in chapter 9. And if you don't already know the story, if you haven't seen the Veggie Tales, you're completely <laughs> at a loss here about what's going on. Um, it's a great story. Uh, Esther, the book, um, is one that's always been a little bit controversial uh, in that it doesn't, even in the Jewish community, although, it, you know, the 
the consensus obviously is that it falls within the canon of scripture. But the reason people were a little bit mm, iffy about it sometimes was that it doesn't ever mention God. There's no, uh, there's nowhere does it say God said this or God did this or God told Esther to do whatever. There's, there's none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautifully written work of literature. Um, but it's, it's in here because it, it wants to uh, talk about a, a time in history when the people of Israel were saved from destruction. And so it's one of those stories that implies the hand of God, but doesn't state it directly. Um, and it's also the justification for Purim, the Jewish holiday, which, like Hanukkah, is not included in the Old Testament canon. But uh, here you'll see, because of this holiday, uh, because of this, the events in Esther, uh, that's where that holiday comes from. Which I once saw a great picture Purim is like the most fun of all the Jewish holidays. It's widely accepted to be the yes. most fun. Um, although, if you if we have any Jewish listeners, please let us know which is your favorite. Um, but it's the one where you just kind of, it's just kind of pure party, um, and it's just celebration and rejoicing. There's a I saw I went to a <laughs> photography exhibit of um, a series of photographs of the Jewish community in New York, and one showed two uh, um, boys celebrating Purim, and they were maybe like 11 and they're both smoking cigarettes, you know, with, you know, with the curls and the hats and just looking like they're, ha- I mean, yeah, just it, having a great time. So Purim is so great, even the children smoke. That's, it is. That's the title of your sermon. It is. And, uh, you know, and on that day, uh, the Book of Esther is treated basically kind of like a roadhouse movie. Um, and um, every time the word Haman's mentioned, people throw back a drink. And every time the, they read through the Book of Esther, and every time Mordecai's mentioned, you throw back a drink as well. And so um, it becomes huh. quite a. So at the end, it's a it's a rager. And so, um, but I think the the powerful thing about Esther, as you as you mentioned, is that um, you've got this. God is not mentioned at all, and He doesn't kind of intervene um, visibly in any way. And, uh, and what, but what you see is, and you have these people, Esther is not someone you should tell your congregation to be like. I mean, she is, um, she is unfaithful. Uh, she's um, to the law. I mean, she you can't tell whether she's Persian or whether she's Jewish or any of that. But what you see is, is that even in uh, when God appears to be silent, even when God doesn't even appear to be in the picture, he is at work and he is orchestrating things for the salvation of his people. Um, and that he, nothing, will, um, nothing will be able to shuck his promises from coming into fruition. Um, you know, here um, at the hands of Haman, the Jewish people were to be eliminated. And, um, and this wasn't going to happen because God had made a promise that he would save the world through the Jews. And, uh, and so this is going to come into fruition. So when it seems even like God is absent, when it seems like he's not saying anything at all, God is at work to save his people. And uh, by virtue of your baptism, you are God's people as well. And so when it seems like he's absent, when it seems like you're faithless, he's always faithful to bring about his promises. Yeah, and, and definitely your point about Esther not being a perfect person uh, is, uh, I think, just well said, because there is always this tendency to feel like God rewards the good, 
God works through the good, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're not good, God can't work in or through or for you. And like you said, Esther, she she would not have won the Bible memorization prize. <laughs> she would not win the sword drill. Uh, you know, this is post-exile. Israel has sort of fallen apart. Uh, they've been exiled uh, first by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and the Jewish people are scattered all over the world. That's why this Jewish community is in Persia or modern-day Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the 5th century BC. Uh, they call him King Ahasuerus, but it's Xerxes I, but that doesn't, I mean, whatever. Don't Please don't tell your congregation that because it'll be super boring. Just note that this is a historical account of God working through imperfect people um, who are who are not even aware that they are really in whatever position they're in to serve God. You know, there there has long been a movement in this country of uh, within the Christian Church of trying to of people trying to get elected or get in positions of power in government in order to steer the country in a certain way, very self consciously uh, doing so, and that is absolutely not what is happening here. Esther is you know. Queen number one gets in trouble and goes away, so queen number two is chosen and it happens to be Esther. Um, and it's really her uncle Mordecai that helps her kind of know what's going on. But all that to say is God works in, as Jake, sort of as you've said, maybe I'm sort of just belaboring the point here, but God mm-hmm. works in very mundane situations, in situations that aren't clearly overtly religious in any way. Um, uh, you know, this section here where where Esther speaks the word that ultimately gets evil Haman hanged and the Jewish people saved, it's just at a dinner in the palace. Uh, and, you know, they're even drinking wine. So, take that, Baptists. Mm. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Love love my Baptist brethren. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think th- there's, there's stuff here you can talk about. It does take a lot of work to get to the main point just because you have to explain the whole story. Um so, whether you preach on it or not, we'll leave that to you and the Holy Spirit. But there is some good stuff here. And it's why people celebrate Purim. Yep. So, anything else you want to say on that, Jacobus? No, I think we should move on to James. We definitely should. All right, James chapter 5. Uh, we're ending the book of James. We've been reading through it these Sundays. And we get kind of just this, um, as often happens at the end of these letters, uh, you get... Um, kind of going through a punch list a little bit. Uh, and then oh, as you do that... Oh, really yeah, quick. Go ahead. I forgot this little fun fact. I had written it down. Do it. But um, an interesting thing, too, about Haman is that um, Haman was likely a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. And uh, now this, this kind of stuff people find interesting because there's all these little threads that run through the Bible. But um, anyway, but um, Saul was told to uh, destroy all of the Amalekites, and he didn't do that. And because he of his didn't. and because of his disobedience, well, um, this like I mean, it's just kind of this reminder that like you know, um, sin is always trying to eat us alive. And um, and so you know, when Saul didn't do this, these the, the ramifications and the repercussions are always going out. But anyway, uh, that's yeah, why we no, need. If you, if you get rid of all the liquor prayer. in your house, yeah, and if you get rid of all the liquor in your house, but you leave that one taped on the underside of the toilet tank lid, mm-hmm. Jake. I mean, <laughs> that's I just between us. No, <laughs> but yeah, I think that there is there is a lot there. Um, that's my cough and that's syrup. interesting. I didn't I did not know that point. And by the way, as we're as, as while we're on this. Um, 
off-topic uh, little rabbit trail here. Uh, I, I also forgot to mention to folks that starting next Sunday, October 3rd, uh, the Old Testament reading goes to Job, and you're in Job for four weeks. Again, of course, it jumps all over the place with Job. Job is a long book. There's a lot there. But if you wanted to do a little sermon series on Job, you could do it. Also, heads up, preachers. Um, as I said, we finished James on this coming Sunday, the Sunday after that. Some of you plan ahead. You're, you're, you're the clergy person that people don't like. The rest of us are writing it on Saturday night. And if you're uh, one of those desperate last-minute kind of preachers, just a heads up that uh, starting again on October 3rd, not only do we begin a new book in the Old Testament, the book of Job, we also begin a new book in the New Testament. Uh, the Sunday readings will move to the book of Hebrews. So if you want to do a sermon series on Hebrews, you've got like seven Sundays to do that, basically all the way till you hit uh, Christ the King and then first Sunday of Advent. Uh, no changes in the gospel, it's just going to be Mark forever. So now that we're done with that uh, sort of the lay of the land coming up, um, let's move back here into the book of James, chapter 5. Are any among you suffering? Well, yes, Jake is, because I've been blathering on here forever about what's coming up in the lectionary. Jake, what do you want to say about James, chapter 5? Well, I think, um, uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is already among you suffering. Well, if you're doing your job, for sure, <laughs> and, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, this, is what, this is what happens. And really, this is, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why, as we were talking about before this, we go to the hospitals to pray. But really what this is, is this flips kind of um, the way the church typically treats sinners right on its head. Uh, the point is, is that um, this should be a place, um, it's not just simply about curing a cold here. This is about um, restoring people back to the church. This is about um, bringing people to a living word so that they might have faith once again in um, a real living Savior. And so, um, the, real, the real money thing here is it's not just, uh, and it prayer, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. So, there's a connection here with um, basically uh, uh, separation from the church, um, sickness, and the sickness that we all have inside of us, which is um, sin. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a couple things here. One, this is why uh, when Jake and I and other people go to visit folks in the hospital, it's this verse, which is why we anoint people with oil. Um, it's a very scriptural practice. If, if we have any uh, ultra-Protestant folks listening who have never anointed anyone with oil, this is Do just it. one of those examples where we are more scriptural than you. Just no. saying. Just, no, nah. I'm just kidding. I'm full of the digs today. Please know you that are. it's nothing but love. Um, we're, uh, we Episcopalians are arguing from a position of weakness. We are, we've got the smallest churches. Nobody knows who we are. I'm just jealous of you guys. Um, <laughs> But uh, we got the, we got a lot of issues. Just for the record, we do. <laughs> we got a few. We got some baggage. Um, so I think the important thing here, so as as you mentioned, Jake, there's a clear connection in the mind of the author here between sickness, physical sickness, and sinfulness. And if you go in the Book of Common Prayer, in the prayers for ministration of the sick, it often includes prayers of confession and asking for forgiveness. And it's not saying here, if you sin, you'll get sick. Or if somebody is sick, it's because they sinned. Uh, if people got COVID, it's God's judgment on the world. No, it's not saying that. Um, Jesus himself 
kind of obliterates that when his disciples ask him, uh, you know, is this man blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? You know, that's that's how they thought of things. Physical problems came from spiritual faults. And, um, and Jesus removes that whole way of thinking. However, what this passage is getting at is the fact that there does seem to be a connection that we don't fully understand, um, and it's a mysterious thing. Human beings are not easily compartmentalized into physical, spiritual, psychological. It's all kind of overlapping and interwoven and connected. And there is often, um, if someone is suffering, as the passage begins, if someone is sick, there is also often a spiritual problem. I mean, there's never a time when we're not sinners. There's never a time that we don't need forgiveness. So, um, it's not saying that only sick people, only sinners get sick or anything like that. But there does seem to be a connection to want to deal with the whole person. So, if you're sick, you get prayers for healing. You're also a human who's a sinner. So, you get prayers for uh, forgiveness of sins. Um, And it's just saying when you go to visit the sick, make sure you treat them as whole people is is what this is saying. That's right. So, that's my my diatribe on that. But I do – and then the last thing I kind of want to say about this is – uh, well, I'm sure there'll be another thing because I'm a preacher and I always have lots of last things to say. You ever hit like when a sermon? You ever hear those with like five conclusions? You think mm. it's over and then it's like just kidding. Um, the um, the thing in verse 16, the prayer of a of the righteous is powerful and effective. Uh, this does not mean that only good people have effective prayers. Um, the gospel teaches us to reorient what we mean when we say righteous. Um, because there's only one righteous and his name is Jesus Christ. The, the, this is saying that um, the, when the prayers are effective, which um, in which the person um, looks not on his or her own holiness, but on that of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, when I pray, if my prayer is effective, it's not because I've been super good today. Um, it's because I've been aware of my own sinfulness and I'm relying and trusting wholly on the grace of God, especially in my prayers. Because my prayers are probably the things that make me feel better than other people, which is pride, and that itself is a sin. So, um, the prayer of a righteous is powerful and effective means the prayer of somebody who is trusting in Christ, not in themselves. Trusting in the gospel, not in their own works. Trusting in the grace of God, not on their uh, achievements. So, that's what it means when it says the prayer. So, if you feel like you're not good enough to pray then that means you are probably pretty close to being what this passage means by righteous because you're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting in in others. All right. Yeah, no, Jake, it's good. The, I, I, yeah, I mean, go ahead. I just think that this is a picture of what the church actually should look like. Um, and um, that's what James is doing. He's giving a description of what the church should look like. And that is a place where uh, sufferers find rest, a place where the sick are actually cared for. Um, and a place where the cheerful, at least for a moment, you know, can sing the praises of God. Um, but, you know, this is one of the reasons why um, we, we host a lot of AA meetings, but why Saturday basements all over this city are packed. Um, yeah. um, because AA, there's, this, this actually manifests itself. And um, That's right. 
And uh, verse 16 is like an AA meeting. Confess yeah. your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And if you, listener, have never been to an AA meeting, it just begin, it's just people going around in a circle talking about what's honestly going on in their lives, essentially mm-hmm. confessing their sins to one another. And it ends with saying the Lord's Prayer and the Serenity Prayer. So mm-hmm. they, they're praying for each other. I mean, it's just, it's, and, and people are healed. It's amazing. It is. It's, I mean, healed with deep wounds. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, it's, it's just amazing. But this really is what uh, the image of the church should be. Um, broken people praying for each other. And uh, really, I love what he says. I mean, bring the elders of the church and have them pray over them. But, you know, uh, but we can be confessing our sins to one another. We can be praying for one another. And uh, knowing that um, our wounds connected to Christ's wounds and faith in his blood uh, we will always be healed. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally, we have this, these, the last two verses, which is about... You know, these, these verses are about life and community as Christians, which is what James mostly is about, uh, and uh, talks about people that wander away from the faith. And of course, in a time of persecution, this is pre-Constantine, you got lots of persecutions breaking out periodically against the church, and a lot of people did wander from the faith, from the truth. Um, and there were always people who want to blackball people, blacklist them, and say, you're done. Um, but here, James says that we should be more like Jesus in that Jesus is the one who goes out after the one lost sheep uh, and doesn't just care about the 99 who never wander away, but have a special place in your heart for sinners. So, I always get troubled when Christian communities are very um, quick to shun and reject and to judge and to cast out. But this says you always want to bring somebody back um, and rescue them. And this brings us to our gospel reading, Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. And we see actually the disciples doing this very thing, you know. Uh, We love to uh, put a trademark on Jesus. And um, I mean, I think every pastor deals with that, you know. Uh, You know, we always have um, church plants opening up all over the place. And sometimes I'm like, why right here? You know, and so I've got the trademark on Jesus. And, um, you know, but basically what happens is the disciples, John said, you know, saw someone casting out demons in Jesus's name, but he's not part of the inner circle. And, uh, uh, Jesus is like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> you know, so um, it's going to come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And uh, but um, if they're on the team, they're on the team. That's right, and it does um, it does kind of cast a light on something that Christians, obviously, Jesus's disciples did this, and we still do it today. And it's just something that we do, or we tend to think the way we're doing it is better. And if other people are not authorized, we get sort of perturbed about that. Um, and uh, but Jesus uh, seems to think that, you know, there's something more important than which which team name is on the back of your jersey. Uh, Jesus is much more interested about serving the least, the last, and the lost. Um, and also, uh, in some sense, saying that you are part of that uh, community of people who um, do not have power and who are in need. Because he says... Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. So he flips it and says, you are the person who is the needy one. Um, You're not the one necessarily uh, in power helping the needy. Um, And he talks about children and how important they are, how important the people are who in those days would have been at the bottom of the totem pole. So he talks about putting a stumbling block before Mm -hmm. these little ones. Um, And Jesus, again, it's a bit... This is an ob- kind of an oblique passage. Um, Jesus is always sort of 
He tends to think about big cosmic things when the disciples bring up some little, like here it's just, it's like copyright infringement and they want to call the uh, intellectual property lawyers and get them to pay a license fee or something. And Jesus is like, let's talk about something bigger. Let's talk about uh, sin and cosmic things and, uh, and how, how God cares about children. Uh, so Jesus kind of uses this like very mundane thing to launch into a big discussion. Yeah. And he moves in, I mean, and, and nobody, um, not even fundamentalists take this to its, um, highest pitch, but he, although Thomas Kremner did the great story. And Jerome did. Jerome a little bit. Yeah. He kind of, he (laughs) self-applied this passage. And, uh, actually, um, so did Father Sergius in, uh, in, uh, Leo Tolstoy's book. He cuts his finger off. But, uh, you know, the great story of Kremner, you know, he was in that tower in, uh, Oxford and, um, he did sign a uh, he did sign a recant form and uh, and then they as they were strapping him up to the stake anyway he because he recanted his, his recantation yeah he lifted his hand up uh, with the hand that had signed his recantation and uh, he said um, he said this hand hath offendeth and he stuck it into the fire first or so the legend goes but um, I love that story and so but the point here is it's an interesting thing if you notice. Um, Chick tells his kids that his story that every night. And so. before they go to bed, and then I kiss them on their forehead. And, and then I follow My up favorite. with Jerome. <laughs> and then I follow up with Jerome's castration. Yes. <laughs> so, but Let's read chapter five of The Martyrdom of the Saints. <laughs> so, but, it, you know, he says if your hand causes you to stumble, if uh, your foot causes you to stumble, if your, uh, you know, this causes you to, your eye, basically all of this stuff and, um, you know, uh, it's better to go into heaven maimed. The point being here is it's interesting that the one thing that's not mentioned, these are all things that we do to work. You know what I mean? These are all things that like we we use to justify ourselves, whether it be our hands, whether it be our, um, you know, even our eyes and what we see. Um, but the one thing that's not mentioned here is the ear. And because the ears are very important and we need our ears to hear the word of Jesus um, and hear the gospel that um, removes um, every stumbling block um, that stands in our way. And so um, that's that's a very important thing, I think, to, to, to take note of. Yeah, and this passage, you're, uh, likely your congregation, if they're still awake at this point, you know, they've been asked to do a lot here. This is the third scripture reading they've heard this day. They didn't understand what's going on with Esther because that was, you know, out of the clear <laughs> blue sky. Uh, James talking about oil and who knows what. And then you get to this, and the, what's going to hit them like a two by four is this thing about cutting off your hand and your foot and your eye because it does mesh with metaphorically how human beings tend to approach spiritual life, which is Mm -hmm. if there are bad things in your life, just stop it. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of it and uh, do the purge, do the cleanse, whatever, quit cold turkey, all those sorts of things. And um, this just takes it to an extreme level. And so, this is going to fit with what they think Christianity is about, which is being good. but it's important for them to know that Jesus's uh, hyperbole here, his exaggeration, is actually pointing the hearers in a different direction. Because if you follow the logic all the way through, cut off the body part that causes you to sin, you're ultimately going to have to cut out your brain and your heart. Because 
you can cut off your hand, you can pluck out your eyes, you can cut off your feet, and you can still be sitting there just as greedy, just as self-absorbed, just as um, uh, irreverent towards God. You know, so if you're going to remove the parts of you physically that cause you to sin, you have to, you know, go all the way. It, what is this is to show the futility of that, and uh, I think to open the hearers up to something new, which is the grace of God, um, mm. the the one who will um, he, he will not cut off his foot for us, he will not cut off his hand for us, he will not pluck out his eye, but he will go all the way in that he will die, he will um, he will. fulfill the total requirement of the law for sinners because Mm -hmm. this is beginning to get to that um this is just the you know the the first things the foot the eye the hand you have to go ultimately all the way because the law if if you're going to cut off everything cause you to sin you have to cut off yourself and this is what jesus will do for us on the cross so it's pointing Mm. you in that way um and and, that uh, that makes that makes sense of the final line uh for everyone will be salted with fire you know and uh that you know, and salt is good. And this is, this is a reference to sacrifice. And uh, this is, you know, um, a, re- a reference to seasoning. And all of us are going to go through that fire. Um, you know, we're all going to die. But um, uh, salt is good. And if it's lost its saltiness, how can you season it? So, you know, he's just made, you made the point of the ultimate sacrifice coming. And now, you know, so the point is, is to be seasoned with Jesus. And uh, the yep. point here is to be, you know, uh, Christianity without its salt uh, really stinks. Um, you know, the salt of Jesus really is just terrible. It's it's just, you know, no different than any other religion. And so, but we have been seasoned with something outside of ourself. And uh, we have been um, made flavorful and pleasing to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Yep. And I will say, by the way, and Jake and I, you and I talked about this before we recorded this episode, that Jesus's exact meaning with this metaphor with salt is not totally clear. It's one of those frustrating passages where he doesn't explain exactly what he means. There is uh, Old Testament reference to sacrifices getting salted before they are burned up on the altar yeah. and all that. But, uh, but scholars go around and around and around on this. And so, and to explain it to your congregation it might leave them a little bit head scratchy because it's, again, it's a metaphor and it's kind of a stretch. But, um, uh, so just, I, that's just my, you know, and Jake, you may disagree, but my feeling as a preacher would be like, I would worry about getting into the salt just because it gets, I mean, first of all, it raises your blood pressure. Too much sodium is bad for anybody. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a weird saying of Jesus and all the commentators say this. We're not really sure what it means, but, um, but I think you're right to say that it does reference sacrifice, and if you want to go there, you can go there. But well, uh, I just say re- it's, a, it's a it's you may get yourself tangled up in the weeds here if you try to explain the salt yeah. metaphor. But that's uh, my feeling on. It. Yeah, and I think you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think, <laughs> Which is I think fine. <laughs> this is the last episode, no, the 156th uh, and final episode of the same old song. <laughs> a lot of conflict behind the the curtain. So anyway, but um. <laughs> Uh, but the re- the reason why I would tie it into the sacrifice is uh, because um, um, he says, "Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another." And uh, this takes you back to verse thirty eight, where the disciples are like, you know, they see this guy who's clearly preaching the salt and uh, has the salt, and they're like really upset with it. You know what I mean? And so it yeah, it kind of it 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 you, you tie you got to tie the bow by going back to ver- verse thirty eight, and so. The point is, is he's saying, um, 
you know, I'm the, I, I'm ultimately what matters. I'm ultimately what makes you flavorful. And, uh, and so have this salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Don't worry about what, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't belong to the Episcopal church. I don't belong to the Baptist church. I don't belong to the Catholic church. Um, uh, you know, I am the Lord of, of the church. And, uh, and so that's basically, um, and if you've got that, then you can be at peace with one another. Amen and amen. Well, uh, that'll do it for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. The, the, um, the, as we end the book of James, as we dip our toe into the story of Esther and, uh, and uh, we continue with the gospel of Mark. We'll see you next week as we talk about Job, Hebrews, as we continue with uh, Mark and Salty Jesus. Until mm. then, take it easy. Somebody's looking, somebody cares Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.